Net Zero podcast is brought to you in association with ED's Sustainable Business Covered podcast and is the only place where corporate sustainability and energy professionals can get under the skin of the world's most ambitious emissions reduction targets. So welcome and enjoy the journey to a net zero future. Hello and welcome along to ED's Net Zero Business Podcast, a new spin-off podcast series focusing on the growing need for corporates to align their strategies with climate science by setting net zero emissions goals. You are listening to the voice of ED's senior reporter, Sarah George. Since the UK government set its 2050 net zero target in law, more and more businesses have been attempting to get ahead of the political curve strengthening their carbon and energy strategies and pledging to become net zero well before the national deadline. As such, we here at ED see the value in speaking with these trendsetters and trailblazers to get an insight into just how much work went into getting these targets up and running and what now has to happen to meet them. So each of these episodes features one in-depth interview with a business or organisation that has committed to a net zero strategy. In the last episode, the first in this series, I ran briefly through why net zero is so important, both in terms of uh, climate science and national legislation, and spoke to the National Trust, which announced a 2030 net zero target and strategy to mark its 125th anniversary. This time around, it's the turn of Mighty, which I can now pronounce. Um, The facilities management giant last month set a 2025 net zero target, believed to be the most ambitious in this sector in the UK. The target is supported by a three-pillar decarbonisation plan um, and the pillars are centred around power and transport, number one, waste, number two, and the energy efficiency of buildings, number three. And these are MITE's three most material areas for emissions. Um, MITE's Director of Sustainability, Social Value and Fleet, Simon King, kindly agreed to meet me, pre-lockdown of course, um, to discuss that plan in a bit more detail. So without further ado, let's hear that chat with Simon in full. Enjoy. How are you doing today? Yeah, really well, thank you. Um, and I believe this is the first time we've had you on the podcast. It is, absolutely. Even though I've spotted a few of your colleagues at events before, I don't think we've actually caught up, so it's great to, great to have you here. Thank you, no, great to be here. Um, yeah, and it's a good time to be here as well, because just a few weeks ago, Mighty announced its 2025 Net Zero Carbon target. Um, If you're listening and you're an eagle-eyed reader, you'll have already seen us cover this story over on ed.net. And for the rest of you, I would encourage you to go and search for that now. But in a nutshell, the target covers all of MITE's direct and power related, that's scope one and two, um, emissions. And in order to meet the target, MITE has said it will target emissions across three key pillars or areas, namely power and transport, Um, energy efficiency in buildings and waste, the latter of these mindful of the fact that almost half of global emissions aren't associated with power but with linear models of material consumption according to the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Um, And when you guys set the target you said this is the most ambitious deadline in the facilities management FM sector. Um, So Simon I was hoping to get some insight from you as to how that deadline was, was chosen in the first instance. Sure. 
Well, originally we considered setting 2030 as our deadline because we'd previously committed to EV100. Mm -hmm. uh, a very significant proportion of our carbon footprint comes from our fleet. And so we'd made that 2030 commitment. And so we thought about just broadening that out across the whole business. Uh, but upon reflection, we felt that we needed to be more ambitious uh, because we want to challenge everyone to, to consider how they can go further and faster. Uh, and also we've got the expertise to help others go on that journey uh, to zero carbon themselves. So we believed it was really important we took that leadership position. And so we decided that we had the capability to go faster and so we should. So the logical sort of step forward from 2030 was 2025 and that's why we settled on that date. Great, and you, you mentioned there that transport is a really big proportion of you guys' emissions, so that sort of explains why transport is one of the pillars, but could you give a bit more insight as to how the three pillars were developed and under each one maybe some of the first actions you're going to be undertaking? Sure. The reason that we focus on the areas we focus on is really about the greenhouse gas emissions in the UK. If you look at the uh, Department for Business Energy Industrial Strategy, uh, figures, they show that transport is the number one sector for greenhouse gas emissions with 27%. Uh, number two is the energy sector with 26%. Number three is the, the business sector uh, with 17%. And so if they're the biggest areas that uh, influence the UK's emissions as a whole, then we, think we needed to focus on similar areas. Uh, plus, we have uh, the, the fourth area uh, that, that has an impact, as you've explained in your intro, is the, the use of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and and if, if we can therefore reduce the amount of, of waste, um, that has a big impact as well. So we really based it on where the greenhouse gas emissions were and, of course, where we've got the ability to make a significant impact as an organisation, which correlates well. Uh, we've got uh, a big fleet, so we're going to reduce that area. We uh, use gas for heating our premises, as most organisations do, so we need to decarbonise that, and we need to buy renewable energy. Uh, and as you start to use more and more renewable electricity, making sure you've got efficient buildings is critical to manage the grid infrastructure. So as looking across those areas, it was clear that we needed to resolve power and transport, we needed to uh, eradicate waste, and then also we needed to make sure that we enhance the efficiency of, of buildings. Mm. And could you just, I know we've covered it in our piece, but for people that are listening, touch on some of the first things you'll be doing under each of those pillars. Sure. So the biggest one is, is about transport. We have a fleet of uh, over five and a half thousand vehicles and so moving those vehicles across to a zero carbon fleet is, is the biggest area. We already have over 300 electric vehicles on the road uh, and we're rolling those out at a rate of about 75 per month. We're actually going to have to accelerate that even further to 90 per month okay. to achieve our 2025 target. So we've made a great start, but there's a lot more to do in, in that area. And alongside that, installing the charging infrastructure. Uh, we already have 275 charge points installed, uh, but we have another 500 planned for this year. So big, big focus on, on transport. We're then doing two uh, pieces of work using the expertise that exists in the Mighty business. So our Mighty Energy team are doing uh, an audit of all of the Mighty sites to look at 
what our energy usage is, what our energy efficiency is, and what we need to do to decarbonise and reduce uh, our energy consumption. Uh, and Mighty Waste are doing the same on, on our business, looking at what the baseline is, how much stuff we've currently got coming in, and what all of the actions are that we need to take to reduce that uh, down to uh, zero uh, non-sustainable waste. So they're the kind of the three big things that we're doing initially. We already buy uh, Rego-backed renewable energy, but we are also kicking off the work to look at how we can move towards subsidy-free PPA. So they're the, the things that we've, we've started now. Mm. We sort of touched there a bit on what I was going to ask. So sort of after you've done some of the low-hanging fruit or some of the more material stuff you can do straight away, what about some things that you foresee taking longer or perhaps being more challenging? So some of the things I noted in the strategy are, for example, that you might need new conferencing software to minimise travel altogether and that some of these office and waste contracts might take some time to come about and then a lot of businesses the last thing to consider will be offset so I had to mention that <laughs> that as well put you on the spot uh, a little. Sure I think some of the harder things actually link in to something we're doing already so mm-hmm. for transport the majority of the vehicles that we've put on the road so far are cars and the balance are small vans mm-hmm. larger vans and HGVs are significantly more of a challenge so we're engaging with the OEMs now to establish what that pipeline looks like and what the supply chain is but large vans and, and larger vehicles generally is a significant challenge the availability in the market is not where we would ideally like mm-hmm. it to be uh, also the the longer term piece is how you make sure that you have charging infrastructure in place for people who don't have off-street parking most of our vehicles stay at home uh, people employees at homes overnight uh, and if they don't have uh, off-street parking it's really tough to, to establish how they charge uh, sorry how they get the charging of those vehicles in place so uh, working with partners to look at on streets and communal parking area solutions and also lobbying government for more effort in that area um, on the energy side uh, we're doing the assessment of, of the changes that we need to make, but we know from experience, particularly where we have leased premises that aren't energy efficient, working with landlords can also be uh, a challenge. Uh, we're fortunate that we've got a team who sort of specialise in that area, um, so we'll be we're leaning on them, but uh, engaging with landlords to make sure that we get agreement to make the changes that are required uh, is another one of the the areas which will take a little bit longer uh, for us to, to get after. Great, and I wanted to come onto that piece as, as well, in that FM in itself is not a heavy emitting sector, I can't, I can't imagine, but it does have a lot of touch points with various industries and with people, as you say, like other businesses um, and with landlords. And you mentioned that at the beginning that a big part of this strategy is about that encouraging of others so could you tell us a bit more about what shape that encouragement is going to going to take over the next five years of course I mean, the first point is that we believe we've got to be doing it ourselves so the approach we want to take is do it then try and get some thought leadership in in the industry mm-hmm. and then deliver for our clients so, so a lead by example model. exactly right yeah so so priority now is lead by example do it out do it ourselves we then want to be talking to our clients about what we've committed to, but also our expertise and how we can help them on their own journey and start to build that credibility within the industry. 
uh, or further build it, you know, that credibility, I guess, because we already do a lot of this energy performance contracts, carbon performance contracts, waste performance contracts. So putting all of that together into one proposition uh, is, is also a key part of, of what we're doing. So putting a plan zero proposition together that we can take to our clients to really help them on their own challenging uh, targets and their own journey to net zero carbon uh, and zero waste. Mm-hmm. Great. And then I have to ask, because it's one of the things you mentioned, that you might need some policy help in order to meet some of those more difficult um, areas. And as we can see, 2025 is pretty far ahead of the UK government's um, deadline. So I have to ask what what you would like to see added to that, not only to help you meet your goals and your clients to meet their goals, but to get all businesses on 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 board with this, really. The, the main one, and we've mentioned this in several articles and also to uh, legislators when we've met them, is about the electric vehicle charging infrastructure. Not the home charging or the office charging, which we can and, and are managing. But as I talked about earlier, that on the street and that communal parking, currently that responsibility sits with each of the local authorities. There isn't any coordinated central uh, direction on exactly what needs to be done across the country to ensure we have that charging infrastructure in place. It's estimated that around 40% of people don't have uh, off-street parking and so how do we make sure that they are able to transition uh, just as well as those people who've got driveways. So some clear government intervention and legislation to ensure that there is on the streets and communal area uh, electric vehicle charging is the single biggest one I would call out. Uh, I guess also the um, any intervention which can be made to make technologies which are currently not as uh, commercially viable uh, as they might be. So large vans would be a great example right now, or indeed some of the decarbonising uh, technologies. Uh, they can stack up in some situations, but there are some where it's still not financially always the, the obvious thing to do. So intervention to make the green option always the best option uh, from a commercial perspective is is also really important. Mm. And I know you mentioned heat there, I'd imagine that's another big one. I feel like every time I get a release about heat, it's policy isn't doing enough. Yeah, and I guess that's one of the things I was talking about the decarbonising heating systems, for example, is how do we really resolve that across particularly aged estates? That's something that we've got a fair bit of knowledge and expertise in, but it is more of a challenge to to resolve that that heating solution. Mm -hmm. Well, policymakers, if you're listening, take note. Um, But that's all the questions I had, so I'd like to take another opportunity to thank Simon very much for his time today. Thanks very much indeed. And I will be doing something slightly weird now and handing back over to my future self in the ED office. So thank you again to Simon from Mighty there, and Edie will of course be keeping on top of their target to reach net zero emissions by 2025. And of course, Mighty isn't the only business, nation or organisation looking at the impact of reaching net zero emissions. Um, So this podcast also features a net zero news in brief, where I pull out three of the top stories from the last month relating to net zero Rest assured that even amid a global pandemic, there have been some pretty big developments in this conversation. Um, The beginning of the month saw telecoms giant O2 pledge to achieve net zero across its entire business and mobile network by 2025. 
It claims that this will make it the UK's first net zero mobile network provider. The commitment covers O2 scope 1 and scope 2 emissions. For scope 3, it's put in place a new commitment to cut supply chain emissions by 30% by 2025, mindful of the fact that this is its most material scope 3 source. Away from the private sector, um, Cornwall and the Isles of Scilly's Sustainability and Transformation Partnership, that's a bit of a mouthful, so STP for short, which includes all key NHS provisions across the region, has set a 2030 net zero target. A lot of other NHS regions do have net zero targets, but 2030 is thought to be the most ambitious for an entire region. Um, the STP includes Cornwall Partnership NHS Foundation Trust, Plymouth Hospitals NHS Foundation Trust, Royal Cornwall Hospitals NHS Trust, the South Western Ambulance Service NHS Foundation Trust, Kernow Clinical Commissioning Group, Kernow Health Community Interest Company, Cornwall Council and the Council of the Isles of Scilly. Um, and when they announced this new target, all of the organisations said they would collaboratively develop a system-wide delivery plan within the next six months. Obviously, the public sector, and in particular the NHS, is having to pivot very fast at the moment, so fingers crossed we can still get that plan by the end of the calendar year. And in policy, the EU has published a cost-benefit analysis of increasing its 2030 emissions target from a 40% reduction against the 1990 baseline to a 55% reduction against the same baseline. The Green Deal contains a 2050 net zero target, but what should be its interim target has proven a pretty key sticking point at, at negotiations so far. So the fact that the Commission is publishing this analysis acts as an indicator as to how it will eventually come down and try and resolve these tensions. Also, shameless self-plug, we did have our own webinar last week entitled Pathways to Net Zero, Decarbonising Your Business in the 2020s. This was hosted in association with Inspired Energy and we also had expert speakers from Child-Based Partnership and Morgan Sindal on the line, providing best practice case studies, practical advice and thematic considerations for developing and implementing ambitious yet achievable net zero strategies. This 90-minute session is now available on demand, so if you are looking for insight and inspiration while you're working from home, you can find it by visiting ed.net clicking events in our top menu and selecting webinars from the drop down. Well, we're just about out of time and I'd like to thank you all for joining me on our second Net Zero Business podcast. If your organisation has a Net Zero story that you'd like to either pitch for this podcast or for us to cover otherwise, drop me an email, sarahgeorge at fav-house.com and the rest of the team will be back with our usual Sustainable Business Covered podcast in due course. You can subscribe to and follow the ED podcast on both iTunes and Spotify. Until our next episode, be sure to check the ED website and search Net Zero for more information on Mighty's Net Zero story and all related news.